You will never be happy if you continue to search for what happiness consists of. You will never live if you're looking for the meaning of life. That is Mark Manson, part of the subtle art of not giving a fuck. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to our bookcast. That was Kayla, and I'm Brandy, and we're two bitches reading books. Before we jump into the podcast today, just want to let you know we were having a little trouble with one of our headphones for about the first five minutes of the podcast, but we get it fixed around that five-minute mark, so just stay with us. Yes, and we told you last week that we decided to read this book because we both have anxiety, and it's a counterintuitive approach to living a good life. (laughs) And it's giving us anxiety. (laughs) (laughs) The exact thing we're trying to cure, we are getting. But you know what? I feel like that's, it doesn't matter what you read about anxiety. It gives me anxiety. Addressing the fact that I have anxiety gives me anxiety. And I feel like Mark talks about that, like having guilt about feeling guilty, feeling guilty about feeling guilty. That's my favorite negative feedback loop. I also love that he like broke down the feedback loop and he was like, if you don't like constructive criticism or something, I was like, oh, but that's me. <laughs> stop talking to me, Mark. Like, you know me. It's so rude. <laughs> Sometimes I wanted to be like, stop it. Get off your pedestal. I had to take so many breaks just because of his fucking pedestal that I apparently am on with him. Now, I'm sick of self-reflection. <laughs> I want to go back to reading things that aren't about me. Fun fact for everyone. I was on vacation and I had family here for like the last two weeks and they all left finally. Love them, but they all left. (laughs) And so I did not read until Monday. (laughs) This is not the book that you want to try and binge read. (laughs) It's so hard to binge read. And just so you guys know, we typically record on Tuesdays. It is Thursday. (laughs) (laughs) so yeah this book is giving us anxiety we're both like I'm gonna read I'm gonna finish reading today I'm gonna finish reading today okay well I could only read one chapter today because then I needed to take a bubble bath and a major bong rip so can we try again (laughs) tomorrow (laughs) exactly the first chapter is don't try and it talks about an alcoholic who thought he was gonna be like this amazing writer and his life just didn't turn out the way he wanted to so he just got into drinking and alcohol but at the age of 50, he became what he wanted, but he was still a loser. For- That's actually something I try to remind myself every day. The reason he was still a loser, despite like having whatever he wrote, he did stuff, right? He was like yeah. a positive person, like a lot of positive things came from him but he thought of himself as a loser and that's why he was a loser he wrote a book called the post office in three weeks and he got a contract and that's what it was and on his he died and on his tombstone it said just don't try and so it's just basically saying like just don't have dreams in a way and then you'll never be disappointed i remember you text me like right when you started reading this chapter and you're like what's the point of this book so we're just supposed to give everything up. I think that that's everybody's reaction at this point in the book. But when you stop and really think about it, conventional life advice, all the positive and happy self-help stuff we hear all the time is actually fixating on what you lack. It lasers in on what you perceive your personal shortcomings and failures to be already. And I said, kind of a dick, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was my first note in this book on page four, fixating on what, you're la- on what you lack. And that is... You know, that's what he's going to be trying to get us to do the rest of this book is to um, decide what we're going to fixate on because that's going to be our life. And if we fixate on what we lack, our life is going to be lacking. 
Oh, look at you. Look at I you. I know. It's because I did not start reading on Monday, and I had a whole weekend to think about chapter one, and I needed it. <laughs> so that's my takeaway. I like to manifest, and I feel like manifesting helped me get to where I am, just like speaking it into existence. And here, he just like goes off about how manifesting is stupid. So I was like, he's attacking manifestations and mantras. And then I said, who pooped in his cereal? (laughs) If this helps people, then they should be able to do it, regardless of what he thinks. But they're like, it goes in deeper about it. But also, I liked that he was attacking toxic positivity. He didn't call it toxic positivity, but he just said, like, people that are always happy all the time, like, I totally agree with him. And I kind of picked up the thing about manifesting too, but I thought he was kind of telling us not to not manifest things, but to notice that while we're manifesting positive things, we're also manifesting the things we're focusing on that we're lacking. Oh, yeah. And that was different than how I interpreted it. Interpreted it? Yeah. I think you got that 1,000 syllable word. You crushed it. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I did love this quote because it just makes me think about um, a lot of stuff that's going on in today's world. The smallest dog barks the loudest. The confident man doesn't feel a need to prove that he's confident. A oh, rich you mean woman doesn't feel a need to convince anybody that she's rich? You mean a confident man doesn't need to shout that he's going to grab someone by the pussy? Is that <laughs> what Mark's saying to me right now? Because that this is- was written in 2016. <laughs> that's exactly what he's saying. Exactly what he's saying. <laughs> I agree with him there. That That is true. Like, if you have to tell somebody you're smart, why do you have to convince them? Exactly. And then I have one more thing that I highlighted in page four and five for the paragraph before feedback loop from how it says, and while there is nothing wrong with good business, because it's talking about like giving a fuck and how it's good for you. Mm-hmm. The problem is that giving too many fucks is bad for your mental health. Preach. It causes you to become overly attached to the superficial and fake, to dedicate your life to chasing a mirage of happiness and satisfaction. The key to a good life is not giving a fuck about more. It's giving a fuck about less, giving a fuck about only what is true and immediate and important. He has so many good quotes in this book. I kept trying to find a good quote to like make a reel for Instagram, but there's just, there's so many. I want to read the whole book out loud. It's so good. It is. It is. It's rude, but I like it. And then we get into the feedback loop from hell. My sticky note here is, how does he know me? (laughs) You get anxious about confronting somebody in your life. The anxiety cripples you and you start wondering why you're so anxious. Now you're becoming anxious about being anxious. Oh no, doubly anxious. Now you're anxious about your anxiety, which is causing more anxiety. (laughs) Where's the whiskey? (laughs) (laughs) That's how I handle my problems. Just kidding. It's THC. (laughs) (laughs) having guilt makes me feel guilty I'll literally lay in bed all day because the day before I didn't do anything and that just makes me feel bad I'm guilty about not being productive and he calls me out for that saying like society has told me that productivity is a value that I apparently think is valuable and I'm pissed off how dare society put these values on me He talks about uh, social media too, how social media is kind of the creator for how we are feeling is like one of the factors in how we feel like we're destined to be something and like it puts all of people's lives, like the good parts of people, people's lives out there. So everyone's comparing themselves and I put a friend's name there that I'm like, oh man, that is her to a T. 
<laughs> I loved this part. It really does that too. And I mean, it's not our fault that we want to show like the good days and not the bad days, but that's what it ends up being. It's just a nonstop loop of everybody's life is better than mine and my life is boring and I need to be more exciting. Until your life hack though, being boring is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Let me tell you, after reading this book, I'm like, it's only been about like six days for me since I started reading this and I'm already like, time I start getting frustrated, I'm like, why do I give a fuck about this? Like, is this fuck more important for me to keep for some other reason? So just clutching my fucking fucks like nobody's business, I guess. <laughs> Keeping them close to the chest. <laughs> close in there. Yeah. I, lo- I love this quote. This is why not giving a fuck is so key. This is why it's going to save the world. And it's going to save it by accepting that the world is totally fucked and that's all right. And I was thinking, I was like, man, has it always been this fucked? But I feel like it feels like that because social media and like, we're just like thrown into it. Yeah. And I really try to think about this a lot. I really like to have big existential crisis days the last couple of years. You probably have noticed. And so (laughs) I really try to think about the fact that like people used to shit in a hole outside of their house. And I literally could not survive because I need to get up four times a night to go to the bathroom. And if it's not warm, then I'm awake and I can't go back to sleep. And my life is not that bad, right? Because my bathroom's warm-ish. Yeah, if you tell me that if you have heated floors, I will go through the phone and choke you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a heated floor, but there's so many rugs that I don't have to touch the floor. Oh, good. Perfect. Okay. Then there's a heater on my way to the bathroom through the oh. cold living room. It's the whole thing. <laughs> it's even better. Yeah. Um, but if there's somebody who would like to marry Matt and I and give us heated floors, I mean, we're here. <laughs> a thruple. Yeah. Will. If you're rich enough, um, I mean, we're not not accepting applications. Just kidding. That sounds crazy. Moving on. Back to the book. (laughs) I don't know if I want to bring on all the problems that I would just to get the heated floors. Like Mark tells me I have to think about what problems would come out of a thruple who would give me heated floors. And it sounds like drama. I'm going to honestly, that sounds like a lot of mental. If it's a man, I'm going to have to like feel their feelings for them. Uh, Never mind. Fuck it. I I want my cold floor. (laughs) Thank you, Mark, for putting that into perspective for me. Look, you figured out what your fault was going to be and you figured out how to handle your responsibility by yourself. You're already there. We're half rushing it. So I don't have to finish the book? Let's just start a new book. (laughs) (laughs) I loved uh, page 10 because he's like, I... (laughs) I, be- I figured out what the philosophy of life was by taking LSD. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, LSD is fun. And even if you didn't figure out the freaking philosophy of life, I still want to hear this story. <laughs> <laughs> I do too. Um, and then he talked about a- another philosopher that says, you will never be happy if you continue to search for what happiness consists of. You will never live if you're looking for the meaning of life. My notes at this point are literally just this line, LOL, this line. (laughs) (laughs) How high were you? Oh, as high as I always am every day. As high as it can be. (laughs) Mark, this is making my nipples all hard, but what about the Camaro I've been saving up for? (laughs) I'm so glad he threw this in. I, know. <laughs> I paid a lot of money for that ad machine. 
what uh, about the beach body and then that that's where they lost me because I was like you know what the one thing I've never given a fuck about is my body like people <laughs> are gonna see this fupa they're gonna see these stretch marks I don't give a fuck if they are complaining about it they can Venmo me the money for my BBL okay yeah, right <laughs> <laughs> if I offend you you give me the money and it's not gonna be no five thousand dollar one those are dangerous we're gonna need yeah. a nice sanitary place it's gonna be 15k <laughs> easy <laughs> with a recovery sweet yes <laughs> that's so funny but you know he's right those people like give a fuck about what other people think when those people look at them like they're deciding that it's their responsibility to make other people feel comfortable when they look at them and honestly fuck other people because they do nothing for me usually ever notice that sometimes when you care less about something you do better at it you know I've been doing that with my job the last few weeks and I think I've been crushing it <laughs> Oh, man. Being a reporter seems really difficult. I, I, I couldn't explain to you why I do the things that I do. I couldn't even try to explain to the world why the world is the way that it is every single day. Fuck that. And you, and <laughs> they're you know, not even I'm, listening. They're not. They're not. And when I'm telling someone a story, like, we go through this in our text messages. I'll, we'll get into some serious, deep shit and, like, really depressing stuff. And then all of a sudden we go to something happy. And then we go back to something deeply depressing. And it's like, that's how I talk to my friends. So why can't I just like do that out in the, like, supposed to write like I talk and that's how I talk. Why is that not okay? I think you need to go happy, depressing, happy, depressing, or it's just depressing, 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 depressing. Yeah. People are going to turn shit off. Yeah. Right. Or they're going to like do much worse things to themselves, lady. (laughs) We need some happiness. We need, we need to sprinkle a little something in there to keep them. Then on page 11, the only thing I underlined here was everything worthwhile in life is won through surmounting the associated negative experience. So he's basically just saying, like, live in the negative experience you're going through because you're going to grow from it. This whole paragraph is good. He goes on to say, the avoidance of suffering is a form of suffering. The avoidance of struggle is a struggle. The denial of failure is a failure. I've been thinking about this paragraph a lot. That's that's good shit. Just own it and move on. I love talking about the shit that I do wrong. <laughs> That's what I do all day long. Honestly, he's making me feel really good because I feel like I'm really open about like what a fuck up I am. But um, I guess all of the things that I've technically fucked up, I've done because like I quit my job. I guess that's a failure to some people, but working for other people. <laughs> exactly. So I, I chose to have the slight anxiety of like some people judge me for not having a conventional job, but uh, I'm more happy than I was doing that shit. So you're thriving and I'm thriving. that's all that matters my skin is clearer than it's ever been so fuck working in an office <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so I don't I don't know if I've had any like epiphanies from reading this book but it has made me feel better about the choices that seem like wrong to society that I've made in my life that some people judge me for this book has made me a little more comfortable about me quitting things that aren't good for me good. not to have problems that I don't want And that's part of not having anxiety about shit that doesn't matter. And not giving a fuck. And giving a fuck about things that are important to you and that matter. Yes. Keeping Um, my fucks in my fanny pack. (laughs) 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 On page 12, there there was a paragraph where he's like, oh, you know, somebody in your life who at one time or another did not give a fuck and then went on to accomplish amazing feats. And I was like, my move to Florida. And then like a lot of this, like going through it, I was like, wow, this like makes me realize a lot. No, when you first got there you were like oh I'm leaving right now but now yeah. you're there and you're like you know some of this fucking sucks but I wanted to be in the warm weather and 
I wanted to move here for these, these, and these reasons. And you're doing those things. So. Yeah. And while you're sitting in the snow. On, it has uh, been sleeting all day today. It's bullshit. It was 70 <laughs> degrees yesterday. <laughs> I have the nice warm sunshine. 13 was possibly my favorite page because he's talking about how you just need to accept the fact that you're going to die one day. Limited amount of time to decide what you're going to give a fuck about. So don't waste your time giving all the fucks about all the things that everybody tells you you need to do. That then you're choosing to give your fucks for the wrong things. I love when people put the threat of death into things. Really ups the ante. Yeah. A question. How long ago was it that you quit your job and decided to work from home? I did that in 2020, February 2020. It was actually right before the pandemic, and I fucked myself because if I would have waited two more weeks, I probably would have been laid off and got unemployment. But you know yeah. what? Still, look at you. You're I like, know. I'm in. I'm 30. Not gonna fucking do this shit anymore. I'm not. It was awful. I, if I ever have to have my micromanaging ass boss sit next to me and kick her shoes off of her big sweaty feet and just let them air out under my nostrils again. There's just not, there's not enough money in the world to make me do that again. That sounds awful. <laughs> and it damn sure is not $25 an hour. I'll tell you that much. That sounds absolutely terrible. I didn't go to school and deal with all the administrative bullshit of going through college, because that's the hard part of college, to have sweaty feet in my cubicle that don't <laughs> belong to me. <laughs> Sorry. But, oh my gosh, that's too funny. On chat on page 14, chapter 14. Oh god, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> We'd be done. <laughs> We'd be better people. <laughs> I wouldn't be slammed in the face every fucking sentence. <laughs> <laughs> we actually get into the subtle art of not giving a fuck on page 14. Subtly number one, not giving a fuck does not mean being indifferent. It means being comfortable with being different. And it's pretty cool because he says people who are indifferent are lame and scared. Lamos, They're yeah. couch potatoes and internet trolls. In fact, indifferent people often attempt to be indifferent because in reality they give way too many fucks. That is so true. I love this part because you know I struggle with internet trolls. Yes. And I just always try to remind myself that every time I click on one of those profiles, that person looks like they want to be me or they want to be on me. So, <laughs> internet Probably trolls both. right there. <laughs> Probably both. <laughs> so, like, yeah, be different. The people that hate you are just jealous because you're comfortable, and they're not because they're full of hate. Mm-hmm. They but hate he- the world, and they can't stand the repercussions of their own choices. Mm-hmm. And his point here is you can't be indifferent because you can't just not give a fuck. You must give a fuck about something. It's in our biology to always care about something. We just have to decide, decide what we give a fuck about and how or what we choose to give a fuck about. And that's something that he talks about a lot is like choosing in this book. It's like you, like we all know that we are responsible for ourselves. I mean, you would think that you would know, right? I hate that fact, actually. I try purposely to not know it. But yeah, let's say that we all know it. Okay. And so, <laughs> so here it's about your life choices and you're choosing them. So you're choosing mm-hmm. your emotions. You're choosing how to handle something. So that was pretty interesting because I never really thought of it like that. It really slowed me down to think. His example for this is fantastic though, because I am in my head thinking like, I immediately 
like think of that like meme that goes around sometimes where if you had like a million dollars and somebody stole 10 from you would you waste the other million to get that ten dollars back and I often am like yes I would uh (laughs) and at this point in the book I'm thinking of that meme in my head and I feel like Mark is telling me that when people do wrong things to me I should just like let it roll off my back because I'm not responsible for their actions then he goes right into how his mom was screwed out of some money by one of her friends and he's like I don't give a fuck we're taking this bitch to small claims court and I'm like okay okay so what he means is like if somebody does something bad to me I should have the fucks reserved to sue that motherfucker and ruin my life and not have wasted it all scrolling about Ukraine for 24 days straight right (laughs) i literally have only been checking ukraine news like in the middle of the afternoon since friday since i started reading this book i'm trying to be careful about where my fucks go well i mean it's hard when we have zaddy Zelensky out here saving the world did you see that netflix put his movie up no, now I have to go watch it. In the preview for the movie. Do I need a vibrator? <laughs> <laughs> well, between the Pete stuff I sent you and the freaking Trevor Noah stuff. Oh my God. Now this, probably. I was, like, I was like, give me a bubble bath. And <laughs> Just turn the lights out, Orlando, get the kid out of here. <laughs> give me 20 minutes. <laughs> oh, you sent me all of that stuff? After Zelensky's press conference and he's unshaven in a t-shirt and it's about to rip off his tight, hot body. I feel like oh all he's God. doing is holding press conferences and doing freaking chest press all day long. Like, he looks and so jacked so out. He's he like, had a Putin. Trim that beard up. <laughs> Putin, I look better than you. You'll never kill me. <laughs> <laughs> but the truth is, he does, and I bet that pisses Putin off to his core. Probably. <laughs> puffy ass Putin he's over there can't button the top button of his freaking shirt and still talk (laughs) I'm so fat I can't see penis (laughs) that's why this war really started actually we're really getting to the truth of it (laughs) how dare Ukraine have that hot young president how fucking nope that's actually my state taking it back (laughs) gosh dang it but in Zelensky's movie Ukraine actually gets accepted into the EU, so I don't oh. know. I don't know if I even want to watch it because that's never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Anyways, that's all the fucks we're allowed to give about Ukraine today. How hot Zelensky is, and how we hope there's no more genocide there. Yeah, <laughs> he'll distract you, won't he? Yes, he does. From the <laughs> message at hand. Gosh dang it! Uh, fuck. Okay. <laughs> So in here, he says, the reserve, like, to reserve your fucks for what truly matters, friends, family, purposes, burritos, and an occasional lawsuit or two. And I was like, man, this resonates. Yeah, exactly. I love that. I, I, I want to do that. I, it sounds like my life will be more peaceful. And honestly, I like this book. I'm a negative person. And I feel like he's telling me, fuck all those people who tell me I need to be positive all the time. Just decide what you're going to be negative about. Okay, then. I can do that. That's I can exactly- focus my negative energy on some concentrated tasks. That's exactly what I think, too. Like, he's saying, like, it's okay. You don't always have to be happy all the time. Sometimes shit stinks. Yeah. Usually shit stinks. Every single day, you're just going to wake up and deal with problems. And then we go into subtlety number two. To not give a fuck about adversity, you must first give a fuck about something more important than adversity. Yes. Oh, there was one quote, like, right before it that says, the point isn't to get away from the shit. The point is to find the shit you enjoy dealing with. Yes. 
I don't enjoy with dealing with other people's smelly feet. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, yeah, subtly number two. Did you highlight anything? I didn't. I didn't. um, But I did like this. He's just telling us to find something that we care about to deal with all the shit for. Like, uh, if your husband throws his laundry on the floor and it pisses you the fuck off. But he goes to work every day and pays all the bills and your job is to just like pick the laundry up on the floor. <laughs> like maybe, maybe this tiny bit of adversity is worth it. It sounds uh, personal. <laughs> <laughs> it's personal. I feel like I see this argument on TikTok a lot too. So I think it resonates with a lot of people. I think it's just a man thing. I also did like this one because he's talking about an old lady who's like about probably about to die. And she's at the grocery store and she's trying to play, pay with a coupon and like... The person's fighting with her. And it's like, she probably hasn't had sex in over 30 years. Yeah. Like, let the old lady get her coupon. Yeah. She's like, she needs to find something more serious to focus her fucks on. But I also feel like if I was the fucking cashier, I would just take the 30 cents off. Because who cares? What are they going to do? Fire you? They can't. There's a labor shortage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are they going to do? Dock your pay? They're already paying you, like, below livable wages. So... <laughs> Uh, let's I don't be think real. They can. They're probably not even going to notice. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, those companies just get insurance kickbacks quarterly. Like, big ass companies get insurance kickbacks quarterly for theft, regardless of if they get theft. They just have like a cap for money that they get paid because they might have that much theft. You know, I think I I heard that today. Like, not Swipe that the coupons, team, bitch. But yeah, doesn't matter. They don't care about you. Why are you protecting their thirty cents? But also, lady, it's just thirty cents. I like I see both sides of the coins here is it worth this lady yelling at you probably not is it worth yelling at this kid probably not you know what i like to do order my groceries for pickup and not talk to anyone (laughs) that's perfect that's perfect so in like one of the paragraphs right before subtly number three he goes i once heard an artist say that when a person has no problems the mind automatically finds a way to invent some i think what most people especially educated pampered middle class white people consider life problems are really just side effects of not having anything more important to worry about um i feel like this is why the real housewives of anything are interesting TV shows. <laughs> they're just finding problems because they're bored and they don't have any problems. That's all reality TV, actually. When you put all these hot, beautiful, single people together and they're like, we're tired of having sex with random, hot, single people. So they put them all together so that they can find one random, hot, single person to have sex with and it never works out. It's great. That's what he's don't, talking about right here. Don't <laughs> come after my uh, Kardashians, okay? <laughs> I, you won't hear anything about me from the Kardashians. I feel like the Kardashians are a very important part of our society. They speak to what's going on in the American culture in so many fucking ways beyond TV that I won't even get into here because I feel like somebody might want to argue with me about it. So anyway, <laughs> that'll be its own episode on yeah. a different podcast. Do they have a book? Because we could read it. I I have some things I would like to say about them. Like, <laughs> I think Kim Kardashian has a book of her selfies. So. <laughs> <laughs> It's a picture book that that actually yeah. would probably be a good read after this. <laughs> Follow our Patreon for our side episode on Kim Kardashian's photo book. <laughs> <laughs> okay, subtly number three. Whether you realize it or not, you're always choosing what to give a fuck about. Look, he gave us all these tips that I know we just broke down in these other chapters, so we really don't have to freaking read. Yeah, let's quit. Let's quit. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's that's me I'm halfway thinking like this is such good advice and halfway thinking like I hate everything right now I don't want to continue like all through this book it's been great (laughs) but this is a good one this is I mean yeah way to point out the obvious so rude of you but yeah very obvious if you don't (laughs) choose what to give a fuck about like you're gonna have to deal with the problems of not choosing what to give a fuck about aren't you you know like deciding not to do something about things in certain situations can be like a criminal offense criminal negligence sometimes is just not intervening if you had the ability to intervene in a situation so like it's not just ethically right it it's like legally right too yeah yeah sure whatever you say (laughs) you're like I hate it when he he points out these things about me that I I knew but I didn't know (laughs) yeah like man why did I pay that much money to go to freaking therapy when I could have just read this book yeah so he's just I I don't think we need to go into depth on subtlety number three like decide what you're gonna give a fuck about or don't uh which is also you deciding not to decide (laughs) my question is how do we know what to give a fuck about like if you tell me not to give so many fucks I'm just gonna like my anxiety is gonna like give a fuck about everything (laughs) my note Right here, right before it says, so Mark, what the fuck is the point of this book anyway, is I'm sure Kayla is so annoyed right now. (laughs) (laughs) I'll have to send you a picture of my sticky note on page 20. (laughs) Oh, man. So I'm right. (laughs) (laughs) And now we go, so Mark, what the fuck is the point of this book anyway? And one thing I um, highlighted was no longer realize it's okay for things to suck sometimes. I believe that today we're facing a psychological epidemic one in which people no longer realize it's okay for things to suck sometimes. So that goes back to the toxic positivity of like, oh, everything is rainbows and butterflies. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, and everything needs to be rainbows and butterflies for us to compete with our friends or our role models or whatever. I mean, I guess, do we want to spend our time? You know, I'm, I'm thinking about it and it's kind of liberating him telling us to stop giving fucks about everything. And he's not telling us what's important to give a fuck about. And that means you get to just decide yeah so I have one more thing to talk about and then we can move on to chapter two even though like chapter two is right there so at the end of chapter 20 or on the end of page 21 it says think of it as a guide to suffering and how to do it better more meaningfully with more compassion and more humility that is it's so good think of it as a guide to suffering because that's what life is suffering and I don't feel cynical saying that I feel like that's just the fucking truth True dat. <laughs> so chapter two, happiness is a problem. This immediately starts talking about, oh my gosh, now that I know who this kid is in the story. <laughs> Wait, you know this kid? Oh, he tells you who the kid is oh, in a yeah. couple of pages. So it's talking about this kid who's like this emperor had a son and he wanted the kid to want for nothing and not even know the problems of the world. So he kept the kid in the palace. And my note is this kid is going to be a dick he just gets whatever he wants by snapping his little fingers if you've seen c i imagine people just like wiggling their loud rings now to get whatever they want oh yeah it's this guy it's buddha yes i was thinking it was like the one i think it's in chapter three or four or five uh the 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 guy that the kid that was stupid had like nothing going for him and then he ended up becoming like a doctor or something but yeah this is buddha which i didn't know like a lot of his stories that he tells are so intriguing and I didn't even know, like, are they real? Like, is this real? Is this how Buddha came to existence? Yeah. And you know what? After, like, him telling us, I actually 
feel like I remember some vague, vague old memory of like talking about Buddhism in elementary school and like learning that he was a spoiled prince who ran away and then like gave up all his worldly possessions. But do we need to get into the whole story about him? He ran away. He was like poor. He realized being poor didn't give him purpose. Being rich didn't give him purpose. And he basically like started a religion, Buddhism. And the first tenet is fantastic. Pain and loss are inevitable and we should let go of trying to resist them. Buddha's like, fuck positivity. Yeah. (laughs) Without saying fuck positivity. I didn't realize this super positive religion had such a like negative first tenet. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Maybe we should dive deeper into it. I really loved in this one is the misadventures of disappointment panda. Like I wish someone would come to my door and tell me about myself and tell me what my problems are so that I can be like, shit. Yeah, you're right. Let me fix that. Because I feel like, I mean, I try to be this friend, but I feel like a lot of people just like don't want to know the truth. Like I have one friend who's like, her life is a catastrophic mess and she brings it on to herself and she gets upset when people say you need to be, be responsible for it. And she's like, I, I don't know what I need to be responsible for. It always happens to me and I don't do anything. And like, I'm a good person. It's me. No, it's I'm not the you. Friend. <laughs> it's not you. But no, but people do that. And he's calling these people out in this because like you just focusing on your life sucking instead of focusing on what you could do to make your life not suck, even though it would be hard to do those things just makes your life suck. And by not choosing to take on the problems to make your life suck less, you're choosing to take on the problems of having a sucky life. He dropped the disappointment panda drops unpleasant truths on you and one of the things is we suffer for the simple reason that suffering is biologically useful it's nature's preferred agent for inspiring change that's fantastic I've been trying to think about that too and he like gives the obvious example of putting your hand on a hot stove and like the heat makes you not do that again because it's hot but the good example was stubbing your toe that's your body learning to not hit that fucking coffee table again, isn't it? You're going to tuck those toes in when you come around that corner next time, aren't you? Are you going to get rid of the coffee table? He's Fuck right. no. <laughs> I'm going to hit it every single time. <laughs> Why the fuck is this here? Oh, man. But also, like, when our feelings get hurt, that's our brain telling us, like, the person who's hurting our feelings or the situation that's hurting our feelings isn't good for us. And if we just love being in that situation or around that person so much that we choose to have our feelings be hurt, then I guess having hurt feelings is the problem that we chose. Man, Brandy, you would be a great TV producer because you can just like freaking break this down into that. And I can't even do that. Like nowhere in here does it say that, but you were just like, this is what it says and this is what it means. You'd be great. Well, this is what it means to me. This is what I was thinking when I was reading it. And this is how I've been trying to think ever since then. And I think that I'm being slightly more patient because of it, or maybe I'm just spending a lot of time thinking. I think you might be spending a lot of time thinking, but no, you're, I feel like you're completely right on how you interpreted it and that's how I took it, but I just couldn't break it down like that. Hey, that's what I'm here for. Also, I would like to say that disappointment Panda would 1000% be voiced by Ryan Reynolds and no one else. Oh my God. No one else could do it. And it would be amazing. Please come talk shit to me, Ryan Reynolds. I don't care what you wear. You can look like Deadpool too. It's fine. How did you raisin face? How'd you know that's that's what exactly what I was thinking too. Because he is Disappointment Panda. 
That's why that's his personality. I assume he's just at home dropping advice on Blake all day long, pissing her off. Do you want to get a divorce? (laughs) He's Canadian too, so it probably sounds sweet. What a bitch. Fuck. (laughs) He probably sounds very exotic. Yeah. And plus he has that stubble, so whatever. Jesus Christ, what is this is a sex podcast now. Yeah, this it started as a self-help book and this is this is how we help ourselves. <laughs> Distraction. I did love this because he talks about what like what makes us go is like we have to solve problems. Problems are never going to go away. We like every time we solve one there's going to be another one, but that's what makes us happy and that's what we should be giving a fuck about. So there was that sad panda said or disappointment panda said don't hope for a life without problems hope for a life full of good problems and as I drive to work every morning I think of that and I'm like wow that's a good problem to have do you think you have good problems I like to think I have good problems do you think you have good problems oh yeah oh yeah my life's pretty easy (laughs) it's real nice thanks Matt (laughs) um um I remember living with you 10 years ago and you really wanted to do tv stuff and now you're doing tv stuff you know new stuff you know that's what I try to think about and I'm like wow I'm like here and now I'm like oh can I get out and live like a boring life like I don't want people to be like wow that's what you do I want people to be like oh that's so boring yeah I know thanks dude I love it let's let's work on this yes. <laughs> new life goals you achieved it <laughs> Check that box off. Let's move on. Yes. Oh, and that's another thing that I'm learning from Mark Manson. I don't know if it's in this one or if it's another one, but like, it's okay to change your mind and want to do things different with your life. That's perfectly okay. If you get to the point in your life where you're like, okay, I did this. I don't think I really like it. I want to do something else. That is okay. Yeah. He gives so many stories about how he like thought he wanted to do this forever. And then he started doing it and was like, this is actually bullshit whatever and I feel like that's been so many things in my life but I guess that's just like learning what you don't like doing just sticking at something because it's what you said you were going to do forever doesn't really help anyone you're actually taking away that like what if somebody else really wanted to do it and they would be really good at it you're also taking that opportunity away from them you know yes by not following your own dreams And I feel like we're always in the pursuit of happiness. And one thing he says that just is really great is happiness is a constant work in progress because solving problems is a constant work in progress. Solving the problems today will lay the foundation for tomorrow's problems. Yeah. And around here, he's talking about how when you solve a problem, you feel really good. Yes. And like, maybe we should be chasing feeling good because we solved a problem, not chasing feeling good because we went on our next big vacation. Yes. Also, I hate planning vacations. That is nonstop stress from start to finish. And I don't really like traveling. So I'd like to focus on solving some problems. (laughs) Sounds great for me. (laughs) Um, Maybe that's why mathematicians are always so happy. Oh, maybe. Also, they don't have big circles, so they don't have to deal with drama. (laughs) Oh, yeah. There we go. (laughs) Oh, man. He is talking on chapter on page 28 let me go back hang on one of my look at me just moving ahead leaving you behind yeah how unusual (laughs) I, i was just trying to get through that last book i think what the heck i don't even know what i was making this note about i just have this note here that says this is why kids need to be uncomfortable to be empathetic Oh my God. I think, I think I know what you're talking about because I felt that same way. Pain is what teaches us to pay attention when we're young or careless. I was just, da, da, da. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The pain, we hate it. It's useful. It teaches us to pay attention. That's right. It's yes. what teaches us empathetic or empathy. And yes. I, I was just like reading this thinking like lawmakers in Florida are taking away like teachers ability to create an empathetic environment in their classroom, which sucks because children are not empathetic. Let's be honest. You have to teach them that the world is not about them. Mm-hmm. I, in all fairness, they have to come out as babies thinking about numero uno because they are very defenseless, but that just means they have to learn to not be like that the rest of their lives. And if you create an environment where they never learn that, then you're just going to get a bunch of fucking Donald Trumps. I'm sorry. I mean, it's true. It's but true. He's talking about how pain is not merely physical, too, in this part. And I love this because, like, of course pain is not just physical. Pain is, is pain even physical at all? Like, your nerves shoot messages to your brain, and then your brain tells you that there's pain in that part of your body. So, of course, when something hurts your feelings, your brain is like, fuck all this shit, shutting all these organs down. <laughs> Emotional pain might be worse than physical pain. You can really concentrate on not focusing on physical pain so much sometimes. Or you can really focus on it and just pass out. Yeah. You've got options. Emotional it's, pain, though, you have to, you either got to get drunk or you got to deal. And he says, like our physical pain, our psychological pain is not necessarily always bad or even undesirable. Oh, this is what, I'm sure this is what you were talking about with empathy. Just like stubbing our toe teaches us to walk into fewer tables, the emotional pain of rejection or failure teaches us how to avoid making the same mistakes in the future. Yes. Yes. And, like, if if you've never felt bad for another person in your life, like, how do you know how to feel bad for other people? Exactly. You're not going to be like, oh, my God, it makes me feel so bad that this is happening to this person and then go, like, full Buddha. No. Like, the- Actually, Buddha is a terrific example. Maybe they will go full Buddha if they're like sheltered for 24 full years. But kids are resilient. A one-year-old can be like, shit, I don't like when other kids are starving. Maybe I won't throw away all my food today. I, maybe I give kids too much credit and adults not enough. Or maybe I'm thinking correctly. Yeah, I think you're thinking correctly because <laughs> as someone who is raising a little human, he definitely picks up on social cues and he picks up on how you treat other people and what you say. And so like, and how you react to those same social cues because he's trying to figure out how he's supposed to react. Yeah. So I feel like if you're like a shitty parent and you're like, Oh, fuck everyone. The kid is probably like, yeah, fuck everyone. Yeah. Grab them by the (laughs) pussy. Like Sebastian will see me like if, Lola poops in the house and I rub her face in it. Sebastian will try and do that too. And I'm like, you can't discipline the dog. Only I can. Like, <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Man, kids really copy everything you, you do. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes really. that thought just hits me because, you know, I might have one and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> I'm going to have to deal with that. Okay. Anyways, let's get back to the book because that seems less stressful now. <laughs> I'm prioritizing my problems here. Uh, so we're going to go back to 32 where he talks about um, whatever your problems are, the concept is the same. Solve problems, be happy. Unfortunately, for many people, life doesn't feel that simple. That's because they fuck things up in at least one of two ways. Denial, victim mentality. So remember that friend that I was talking about earlier? Yeah. Definitely one in two. Oh, yeah. One in two. You know, I actually read this and I feel like I could be one in two. On the days that I'm feeling like real spirally, I'm both. I'm both. And it's like the whole universe is against me. Actually, every 
Adam in the universe purposely doesn't like me and bad things happen to me for that reason. And I feel like I could, I could go, I could go there all day. I could go you know, there all day with her. Just only like once a week. Yeah. But I also think like, I've been on the other end of your spirals and I feel like you're like, this is what's going on. This is what I have to do to fix it. This is what I'm going to do. I'm just fucking pissed right now. And I got to yell. Yes. So I mean, <laughs> but yeah, you're right. I do. I guess, say I have to fix this, but I'm pissed off that this is my responsibility right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I choose to give fucks that I have to give fucks. Okay. <laughs> but people, he says right here, people deny and blame others for their problems for one simple reason. It's easy and it feels good. And it, it always feels good in the short term. And Mark's big point here is do things that are going to help you feel good in the long term. Like make a plan to solve your problem in the long term so you aren't mad about this thing every single time. Like be like, oh crap, I have a really crappy narcissistic boyfriend who cheats on me all the time. And instead of blaming all the women, I'm going to blame the man and get my shit together and leave. Y'all, it's the women are being lied to, too. Guaranteed. I mean, unless she's a real fucking cunt, in which case, by all means, blame them both. I mean, but, the woman, it, it, the man is, yeah. But Don't take him back. No matter how many times he tells you he's going to change, do, do not fall for it. I, I just want to know if women who get cheated on genuinely think that the women who cheated with their men, like, walked up to their man and didn't ask him if they were single and the man didn't lie. Like, does the girlfriend not think she's a secret, too? Everybody's a secret. Everybody got lied to. (laughs) Come on, y'all. Also, Mark brings up this cheating thing in here. Like, if you have to ask if you can trust him, you can't move on. (laughs) Or you're choosing to get cheated on, basically. And you're choosing to deal with those problems. And now (sighs) we get to emotions are overrated. 100% facts. I love this part. I agree that emotions are overrated. I just recently, in the past two years, got, like my third and fourth emotions and I don't like them <laughs> like the third or fourth time you've had emotions <laughs> you know I used to have like or angry and not angry but now I have angry not angry like sad and really sad too so now there's four so growth <laughs> <laughs> maybe Major. maybe one day I'll really like level up and get like contentment added to my my repertoire but I'm, I'm dealing with four right now <laughs> you know, this- but emotions are overrated he's just saying you're getting feedback when you get that feedback do something like if your dog is shitting on the carpet and you're mad about it you got to do something you got to train the dog or you got to make it so they don't have a carpet to shit on oh yeah making right? that change <laughs> it's, uh, i mean it's a difficult change sometimes the change is just that you get less mad about it <laughs> yeah yeah when they were interrupting my marvelous Mrs. Maisel with their not marvelous selves. Mm-hmm. Um, so in here, when it's talking about emotions are overrated, just like a hot stove teaches you not to touch again, the sadness of being alone teaches you not to do the things that made you feel so alone again. So if you constantly pick guys that you think will look good for your Instagram feed that treat you like shit, then that is your choice and your responsibility to figure out how to change that. So you might have to... Not subtle, but find a guy that's not, like, extremely hot that's going to look good on your Instagram feed. And I love me an extremely hot guy, but I'm just going to say it. They are not boyfriend material. There's, like, four of them that are, and they're all married, so. Yeah. <laughs> it's Alan I mean- Richardson, Thor, Ryan Reynolds, and that might be it. <laughs> I will say my the boyfriend's rock. extremely hot, though. Oh, yeah. We got we lucky. We have to have – yeah, we, we got lucky. So there's six and they're all married. We nailed them down. 
<laughs> but no, really, like, just some some advice for all you girls out there. If he's hot and he's charismatic, fucking run. There's no reason for him to be both. <laughs> his dick is on fire. Yes, it is. Act like his dick is on fire. I love this chapter. I, I actually love every chapter as much as I hate it. He's calling me out for acting like a three-year-old and feeling entitled to having an easy life. And I am a three-year-old. I know this. I eat mac and cheese five times a week. Oh, and that sounds so good. You should. I've been cutting my hot dogs up and putting it in there, too. So get my protein. <laughs> At least you're finally eating. I know. My doctor would be pissed, though, because my cholesterol is high. But whatever. I like hot dogs. <laughs> I had to yell that. I'm sorry. <laughs> so he says at the very end of this, um, whatever section we're on, I can't remember. Happiness is a problem. Um, that we like the idea that we can alleviate, alleviate all of our suffering per minute. And we like the idea that we can feel, feel fulfilled and satisfied in our lives forever, but we can't. And he's right. Even if we got everything we freaking wanted right now, we got our dream job in a, as a news producer in a studio, but now like we're here and we're like, "Mm, mm." I didn't realize that this was going to be so boring. Y'all, if I'm going to be bored, can I just be bored at home? We're always going to want something else. And isn't that good though? Like, isn't it good to always want something else? It, it is good to want something else, but it's just so funny because I think back to a year ago when we were talking about when we first talked about moving back to Florida or moving to Florida back mm. for Orlando. And I was like, why I feel fulfilled in my home life. Why can't I feel fulfilled in my career? And I do feel fulfilled in my career, but I am also feeling like I'm not satisfied. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's just interesting. Like I got here. This is what it is like. We literally cannot feel satisfied with our lives forever. Yeah. And I think that's fine. I think it's fine to get somewhere and be like, well, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Because how do you know until you try it? You don't. You don't. And everybody could have told you like exactly what your day was going to be like day in and day out. And you probably still would have been like, I want to do that. This is what I want to do. I need to figure it out myself. Yeah. That's fine. You're allowed to quit. Thank you. You're not allowed to complain about hating your job if you don't quit though <laughs> that's what mark says <laughs> that JK, is what he says jk i'm a big uh, proponent of complaining i feel like you have to complain or you'll just be grumpy for no reason complaining exactly. isn't just complaining it's expressing the issues that you have with the problem okay sometimes you got to get it out and then it's easier for you to solve it that way yes and sometimes someone else's perspective can help so now we're on choose your struggle what do you want out of life I loved this part. Oh my gosh. She says, if I ask you, what do you want out of life? And you say something like, I want to be happy and have a great family and a job I like. Your response is so common and expected that it doesn't really mean anything. And (laughs) I mean, he's right. So rude. And and then he's like, everybody wants that. It's easy to want. So instead you should reconsider the phrase and say, what pain do you want in your life? What are you willing to struggle for? I've been trying to think about this every single day because every single day is a struggle. So is what I'm doing right now, this specific struggle that I'm going through right now, is the problem that I'm solving with the struggle, what I want to solve, is it going to make me happy? Is picking up this laundry out of a random room that I don't know why it's in here going to make me happy? Yes, it is. I'd rather do that than go to an office. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I feel like if you sit there and think about that, like, with everything that you're doing, it helps a little bit. Yeah, it does. I got a lot of editing done yesterday thinking about that. 
Yeah, he's talking about most people want a corner office and a boatload of money, but most people don't want to suffer through 60-hour work weeks, long commutes, which is what you got to do in a lot of places. Arbitrary corporate hierarchies, like, I could go on about that if you wanted to me at length. Um, yeah, we most just people... start a podcast of things that annoy us. Um, I'd never stop recording. <laughs> uh, I love this, though, like... I, I don't think I need to read every single paragraph. Did did you have any that stuck out to you? No. I I did like this. The path to happiness is a path full of shit hap shit heaps and shame. I like that one. It's the acceptance and active engagement of that negative negative experience, not the avoidance of it. That's the salvation from it. Just accepting that this is a struggle that you chose to get to where you need to be. That's going to make you feel better. Is it? I don't know. It's made me feel better for six days, but who knows? Who knows? After we finish this book and put it away, who knows if we're going to be enacting this in six months? Yeah. Yeah. I might go into a freaking anxiety spiral the next day. We'll see. Yeah, I did. This is kind of what made me like realize like, okay, it's okay to leave my job if I wanted to. Um, so he was trying to like be a big musician. And then like, despite fantasizing about this for over half my life, the reality never came to fruition. And it took me a long time and a, sh- a lot of struggle to finally figure out why I didn't actually want it. Yeah. Ooh, I-, I love this though. Like this, I think this is a second story that he's talking about where he thought he wanted something really bad and didn't want it. And I wrote, I'm a big fan of quitting. Not sure why it's even considered a bad thing. And like I said, like I quit things because like if it's not making me happy or if it's making me exceptionally unhappy, that's not my struggle, Mark says. And I'm taking up space for somebody who might actually want it. Look at us. Look at us. What did you highlight here in chapter Um, two? The truth is I thought I wanted something, but it turns out I didn't. End of story aka my life right now and then at the very end because the joy is in the climb itself so I feel like I've heard that before like oh my gosh I did it was in that movie with uh John Cena and vacation friends where he's like it's about (sighs) the journey not the destination that vacation friends movie is so fucking good if you haven't seen it watch it uh, yeah. I've cried at three movies in my life, maybe four, and that was one of them. Really? Yeah. I mean, it just, the ending with the best friend dying and oh, going yeah. through all this shit was just like, it came out right at an anniversary. It was oh, a whole thing. Yeah. It oh, was yeah. a whole oh, yeah. thing. But also, that movie was just so fucking good because, like, I cannot remember the main character's name, the dude who's getting married, or his name in real life, but the dude who John Cena befriends is like, why is this dude around so much? And you're watching the movie, and John Cena's like a badass friend. Like, okay, they drugged them the first time they hung out, and I do not (laughs) condone that. But I personally, like, if you're telling me that you have drugs and offer them to me, I might take them. Probably not cocaine. I don't love uppers, but we could talk about some other stuff. And, like, he just has his back when he ate that mushroom and then saved him from stabbing the fucking dog. Like, I want a friend like that. I feel like Shayla was a friend like that. You're a friend like that. Like, if you don't have friends like that, you need to watch this fucking movie. And then get on get on Bumble Friends and find yeah. some friends like that. Yeah. Do, do something, because you're not, you're not living life as full as it could be. <laughs> but he's right the joy is in the climb itself and I feel like you don't really realize that until you're older and things don't work out the way you thought they were going to work out god ain't that the truth yeah and we made it to chapter three you are not special <laughs> thanks oh, so, 
(laughs) This is Jimmy. He talks about a guy named Jimmy that Jimmy has a lot of business ventures, but he never follows through. I said, was this Anna Delphi? Um, so Jimmy just like, he's, he's a guy that everybody fucking hates. He doesn't actually do anything. He like talks a big game. He name drops everybody and everybody thinks he's a loser, but he thinks he's cool as shit and he loves himself. And that's what it matters. And then he, Mark Manson dropping the knowledge again. He teaches us when the real generation of participation trophies started. And guess mm. what? It's not the fucking gen. What are we? Zers? Xers? Zers. I, I don't know what we are. Millennials. We're, millennials. We're millennials. It's not the goddamn millennials. It was the boomers. It was a fucking boomer. Okay. I, I understand why boomers like blame us for the participation trophies because we got the participation trophies, but they gave them to us. Like, mm-hmm. how are you going to blame the people who were children? Are you so fucking crazy that you think it was the children's fault that you did what you did? <laughs> what the fuck? In all actuality, it was you because in the 1970s, 1970s lawmakers, 60s and 70s lawmakers thought developing high self-esteem and positive thoughts and feeling good about yourself meant that you were going to be a good person and that crime was going to fall and that like life was going to be perfect. And I in wrote actuality, that there was going to be way more date rape. <laughs> That's what I wrote. That's what and- having a bunch of overconfident like 20 something year old men does in my opinion. I mean, you're not wrong, especially if you go to the rec room or whatever it's called now. That's what I'm saying. I don't even know what it's called, but it's terrifying there. Yeah. Maybe I'm just a 30-year-old woman and I'm not drunk enough, but it's scary there. (laughs) Your feet stick to the ground. Take me out. Yeah. Why is there standing water in that bathroom all the time? All the time. And why do people want to go there? It just doesn't make any sense to me. That water has been in that bathroom since I was 16 years old. Truly. <laughs> you cannot just change the stall doors and make me forget that I had to wade through a river to pee, y'all. And then charge me th- like $13 for a Jack and Coke. No, that is not top shelf. And if it is, you're not doing it right. Remember when someone tried to drag me out of the stall? <laughs> oh my gosh. No, I don't. But I feel like crazy shit happened to that bathroom all the time. Was Sorry. I in the bathroom at that time? I think you were. Oh man, who knows? At least we didn't do coke in the bathroom. We're probably the only ones. (laughs) I didn't either. Um, Shocker. uh, Turning out a bunch of super like high on themselves people did not make our society a bajillion times better. Spoiler alert. No, it didn't. And my note here was like, how do you determine successful? Like, what does success look like to you? Because I feel like in this book, he talks a lot about success and how it looks different to other people. And so every day I think to myself, what does success look like? Like I used to think like I will be a successful TV producer or anchor or reporter when I have an Emmy. Now I'm realizing like me having an accolade from the television academy doesn't make me successful. I feel like success to me is more like happiness, having a healthy family, being there, being able to have dinners, like things like that. Also, I think you're successful because you got the job you wanted. But what what does success look like to you? I don't know. And that's something I've been thinking about a lot too since starting to read this book because 
I guess I've just been trained to think that success means that I'm going to make a certain amount of money and like buy a certain house and drive a certain car. And that's what society told me success is. So I haven't really been thinking so much about what success is to me. I've been thinking a lot about what success is not to me. And I think maybe I'm going to have to think about that for a little while before I decide what it is. I think once you narrow down what it's not, it'll end up coming back to you. Like, okay, this is what it is. Um, he also goes on to say like this form of thinking where everyone thinks it's going to lead to a population of Bill Gates and Martin Luther King juniors actually leads to a bunch of narcissistic assholes because <laughs> they're entitled. Yes. Yes. And he, he's, I, I feel like we didn't bring up that he's talking about how all of these things that fake positivity is just a high, like, blaming something on somebody so you get out of getting in trouble is just a high and he's saying that being entitled is just another high feeling entitled to winning all the time is just a high and to really measure your self-work you need to um, think about not your positive experience but your negative experience and how you feel about those oh that just like was a dagger into my stomach yeah self-worth is how you feel about negative experiences and I like that I like that because like a lot of negative experiences are not your fault like I would consider a troll on the internet to be a negative experience and it's not my fault that me living makes them feel bad about them their lives so they take it out on me so I need to think about how that's not my fucking problem and I'm happier overall than they are and they can fuck off and that is how maybe my arm looked weird in this picture you know why am I spending time thinking about maybe my arm looked weird your arm looks like a leg (laughs) (laughs) not like an Arnold Schwarzenegger leg like a regular ass housewife leg (laughs) like my leg you know what I'm saying yeah I do so I do do. that was a specific situation as well you can't tell You 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 thought about it all night. It just sat in your head and lingered. I actually didn't sit in my head and linger. Like I I woke up to this comment about my arm looking weird in a post, and I like immediately like messaged Matt, and I'm like, this motherfucker, like, why is he calling me out for this? Like, my okay, my arm is like behind my back. Okay, that's not weird. It's a way that people stand sometimes. And it took me like three hours to figure out like this guy isn't even mad about my arm. (laughs) He's mad about something else. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because I'm a girl and I had a board game and I'm not supposed to do that. I don't know. Could be a lot of things. That's probably what it is. I feel like a lot that is like an undertone of a lot of things. And I think that's what it is in a lot of situations. But I'm not going to let that. My arm looks great. It does. It does. You can't tell me otherwise. All of you are working out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did an upper body workout once this week, so can't tell me nothing. Nothing. (laughs) I mean, I feel like we really haven't talked about Jimmy's story very much because it doesn't really matter. He's an entitled person. He doesn't achieve anything. Everyone knows a Jimmy. I just feel like that's what it is. Everyone knows a Jimmy. And if you don't know a Jimmy, you're probably Jimmy. So think about that, right? (laughs) If you don't know him, then it's probably you. (laughs) Self-reflection. So he goes into another story. And this was the best story of the book. And you can't tell me otherwise when the positive (laughs) back. The whole time I was like, he's innocent. He's innocent. Fucking No, the whole time I'm like, this motherfucker has pot in his backpack. And I bet you his stupid ass doesn't think anybody could smell it. And the whole classroom probably smells like pot. Because everybody, when they're 13, thinks their pot doesn't smell but it fucking does and it stinks it's not even good smelling pot so it's like ashes and like 
grass. It's not good. We all know what it is. And he cut all of his backpack to hide this fucking shit weed. And the principal's pissed. <laughs> and then it leads to his parents' divorce. Oh my god, this just is a whole cycle of things. <laughs> the weed. It was all because of the weed. Oh, Dare to stay off drugs, kids. I love that. I I just really love the vision of an angry principal like cracking down on drugs in his school, like solving nothing. <laughs> I thought he was really going to get away with it, too. So did I. Well, I mean, near the end, I was like, okay, maybe he doesn't have anything. And then he stepped on the last part. I was like, this little sneaky motherfucker. You got to leave the weed in the car, bro. Come on. Come on. That's so funny. So what is the point of him telling us this story? Because he talks about real traumatic shit. And he says when real traumatic shit like this happens in our lives, the marijuana, his parents divorcing, all within like nine months, we begin to unconsciously feel as though we have problems that we're incapable of ever solving. And this assumed inability to solve our problems causes us to, to feel miserable and helpless. Ergo, the friend I was talking about at the beginning of the podcast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's true. That's on page 53 in case you're behind. Um, I am behind. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, but, gosh... Everything he says is so true. He just makes me think about everything. I know, but I feel like he's so cynical that we shouldn't be giving him, like, the satisfaction of knowing that he's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, can't, I can't fault him for that. I'm just as cynical. I might be worse. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm actually, like, really resonating with him because of how cynical he is, and I really appreciate it. And I've been wondering, like, throughout reading it, if you would appreciate it that much. <laughs> I don't know. Like, because then, like... We'll get we'll dive deeper into it, but there's like one pa- chapter where he's like talking about like it doesn't matter how you're born as long as you like work really hard or something. And I was like, ah, that's like not true, but like it's, we'll we'll get into that later. Yeah, society is kind of stacked in a certain way. Yeah. Mm. Um, and then also in fifty three, it talks about like if we have problems that are unsolvable, or at least we think fi- we think that they're unsolvable, that turns us into untitled people, and then we just are chasing another high of like people need to solve my problems for me yes and all of that he talks about how such a good point yeah he talks about how his trauma led to him becoming a player yeah being immature hurting people's feelings and he's totally right like when you decide that it's not your responsibility to solve your problems for yourself and it's somebody else's then you decide that you're entitled to a problem-free life and that creates problems, doesn't it? Because now it seems like every single tiny infraction, the universe is out to get you. I fall into this loop a lot. I I can really relate to that. I'm really into number two, personally. Yeah, I think I, uh, I'm into number one, but it's okay. (laughs) That sometimes if I spiral real deep, I can go up onto number one the next day, but I quickly come back. Uh, I liked in on page 56 there's no such thing as a personal problem if you've got a problem chances are millions of other people have had it in the past have it now and are going to have it in the future it just means that you are not special and And I was like it's not bad to not be special it's not it's not and he even mentions this I don't know if we like skipped over it because for some reason I'm going through this quickly but I feel like it's because we've been talking a lot yeah I think there's going to be a lot cut out of this one. But, um, or maybe you just have PTSD and you're like trying to get through this shit fast as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> that could be it. I think he talks about in here that if we are all meant, I think it was at the beginning of this chapter, that we're not all meant to be something, that we're not all meant to be like 
movie stars or rock stars or something mm-hmm. special because if we were then that would mean that nobody is we're actually coming into that part the tyranny of exceptionalism oh my gosh look at me foreshadowing yeah, yeah so, foreshadowing as fuck and so okay <laughs> before we get to that he talks about like because of all of this like not solving our problems now it's not uncommon for books to be removed from classes because people feel bad about them and um, I like this one. It says, express ourselves. The more we want to be free of having to deal with anyone who may disagree with us or upset us. Hashtag <laughs> supporters. <laughs> this is so true, though. And what I think about is the fact that on my Spotify list, I have 170 like songs. I listen to the same 170 songs all the time. And if Matt gets in the car and plugs in his music, I just don't listen. I just don't hear it. I literally, you could ask me what was on and I just didn't hear it. You know? That's just me completely ignoring something that I don't like. And I do that. And I think a lot of people do that. And it's so easy to do that. I can just unfollow whoever I don't want to see on Instagram. I can just block whoever I don't want to see my shit on Facebook. You know, it's so easy. See, I can't do that. Teach me your ways. Give me your Facebook password. I'll do it for you. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. I'll give you a list. Um, But you know, like when I do that, it just makes it so much more frustrating when I see something from somebody that I don't want to see because I feel like I have earned the right to not see their bullshit. And I haven't actually learned how to just be like, your bullshit doesn't affect me. I haven't gotten to that level of Buddhist yet because I'm not a Buddhist at all. You'll get there. Yeah, maybe. Maybe we that's should read a book on have... Buddhism. Yeah, maybe that's why you don't have any gray hairs. Because <laughs> I just block everything. Yeah. This is not improving my life. Block, block, block. Maybe I'll write my own self-help book. There we go. I wrote here, note to self, when I'm scrolling socials, socials, I just need to remember that most people are as average as me. Oh, that's a good reminder. Like, even if they are posting an amazing picture every single day, they probably took all those pictures in one day and they're just pacing them out. They're not having an amazing day every single day. Everybody wakes up feeling like they need to do something before they can go outside, just like I do. Everyone takes a shit in the morning. Yeah, right. And honestly, if you're super rich and like have to be perfect all the time, you probably have way more shame about taking shits in the morning than I do. I don't care. I tell everyone. Yeah, me too. I say (laughs) I have a disease. I have a disease. I have to poop four or five times and it might be loud. Okay. (laughs) I don't even say that. I just say I have to poop. And when it happens, I cannot deny it. (laughs) That caused constipation, my friend. You just have to go when you got to go. That's called a regulated bowel system. Exactly. I don't have those because I have ulcerative colitis, but I will tell you this year I've shit myself twice, maybe three times. Bro. I do not have a disease, and in, like, 2019, I shot myself twice. I don't want to talk about it. All from being hungover. <laughs> See, my, I wish I had a reason. Oh, I guess I do. I have a disease. You have a real reason. I have no reason. I'm an adult, and I drank too much. And then I was just trying to throw up, and it came out the wrong end. <laughs> so now we move on to the tyranny of exceptionalism. <laughs> <laughs> With that fine note... <laughs> do i cut that out or leave it leave it it seems great honestly (laughs) everybody has shot themselves maybe not in their 30s but whatever probably no motherfucker probably (laughs) times are rough sometimes you know those commutes are long and those hours those those day shifts are longer true that so we talked about the tyranny of exceptionalism 
sort of. You have more to add to that one? The only one that I really liked in here is the vast majority of life is unextraordinary, indeed quite average, which is true because, I mean, my big moments in life aren't the same big moments as someone else has. And it's like unextraordinary, but like, I'm like, oh man, this is awesome. You know what I think about too, when I read this is um, our lives, like most of our life is pretty, pretty boring and pretty average or whatever. But a hundred years ago, a boring and average life was way more boring and average than it is now. Like a boring average day for most people is like waking up and stopping to get Starbucks and then going to work and then talking to a circle of like 20 people in their office and then going home and seeing their husband and making dinner and watching Netflix and checking their socials and doing all of this stuff. Like, and that's all normal, boring stuff to us. But a hundred years ago, a normal day was like your kids left way early in the morning to go somewhere like seven miles away on foot to school. You didn't see them for 12 more hours and you sat there and cooked or sewed while your husband worked in the field. So yeah. I don't know. It is pretty boring, but I think it's better boring than it used to be. That's what I think too. We can go to the, but, 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 but if I'm not going to be special or extraordinary, what's the point? And then this is what I kind of really liked because I feel like it's true in this day and age. Being average has become the new standard of failure. Mm-hmm. Like everyone wants to be the next like Trey songs or Khloe Kardashian or Kim Kardashian. And it's like, if you just stay yourself and you don't get those lip injections and you don't get that Botox and this is a shot at myself, then you're fine. <laughs> you're fine. Man. No matter how bad you want it. You're I've okay. been thinking about some Botox, my personal self, but you are fine without it. And also those people who are being exceptional, are they good at being ordinary? Would they be good husbands and wives? Would they be good like fathers and mothers if they didn't have a team of nannies? Maybe it's harder to be average than it is to be exceptional. That's what I think, because I feel like a lot more comes with being average than it does exceptional, because you have to learn a lot more life skills to be average than you do to be exceptional. And like, I feel like more bad stuff happens to you. Exactly. So maybe we are actually exceptional and they are average. Yeah. Maybe that's what we need to start thinking about. Being good at being average is being exceptional. Not everybody can be good at this shit. Oh, one thing I really loved in here about being extraordinary is people who become great at something become great because they understand that they're not already great. They're mediocre, they're average, and that they could be so much better. And I, I truly believe that because I'm always like, I, I have imposter syndrome. I don't think I'm good at what I do. Like, to a point, like, I know I'm good, but then also I'm like, oh, I'm always learning. And I feel like to be, like, the best version of yourself is to always, always learn. Mm-hmm. Is to know that you don't know everything and it's just to continuously learn. Right, right. I – the imposter sy- syndrome thing, I – Everybody our age has imposter syndrome, and I wonder if that whole thing of giving everybody a trophy, whether they did good or not, fucked us as a generation. That's why I'm wondering, because I always want to be told, hey, good job. Yeah. Or, like, even if somebody says good job, I'm like, you've said good job every single time. Has it been good every time? How could it be good every time? It can't be good every time. It can't be. Um, I did like this. The vast majority of your life will be boring and not noteworthy, and that's okay. And that that's what I'm learning. Mm-hmm. It says, this vegetable course will taste bad at first, very bad. You will avoid accepting it. But, like, now I'm like, give me the boring. That's why I told someone at work today. I was like, I just want boring. I just want to be boring. Yeah. Like, it's good. Ooh, and then I did, like, this one. Maybe it's because I'm 30 and, like, this is my new lease on life. 30 is your new 20s. Wow. I, I feel like I've been saying for three years, 30s is the decade. 
I'm telling you, I don't yeah. care about any of the things I cared about when I was 20. I don't even know that person who was in my 20s. Shit, I used to twerk and now I can't even think, imagine twerking. I can't even imagine wanting to be on Bad Girls Club anymore. Oh my <laughs> God. <laughs> Is your audition tape still up? No, I had to delete it. Do you have it still? We should share it somewhere. <laughs> if I can find it, we will. Okay. So. Um. And here it goes. You will have a growing appreciation for life's basic experiences, the pleasures of simple friendship, creating something, helping a person in need, reading a good book, laughing with someone you care about. That's what actually matters. Yes. And I'm just like, I have that. That I feel like that's what makes me successful is I have good friendships, simple friendships. We create this podcast together. I'm constantly helping someone, Sebastian, Orlando. <laughs> Thanks, guys, for giving my life purpose. <laughs> Woo! We're reading good books through this podcast, and mm. you and I laugh all the time. I mean, you're not the only person I laugh with. I hope that's not cheating on you, but... <laughs> I'm probably the funniest. Just kidding. I'm up You are. <laughs> you are. This... <laughs> he ends this chapter so well, though, like... He's right. We have to decide like what things are important for us. And usually is the simple things. Like I just posted a snap today about how I just want to sit home and watch my dogs, like do dog things. That's, that's happiness to me. And it sounds boring, but whatever. I don't care. I'm sure lots of people on the street don't want to hear about how cute my dogs sounded today when they went outside to play and Callie had zoomies, but that shit is the highlight of my day every day. I thought it was so cute that you sent it to me. Like you're a mom. Like I send videos of Sebastian to my mom and my grandma. Cause I'm like, Oh, look at the cute shit he did today. And then you sent me one of your dogs. And I'm like, I, I must have a special place in your heart that you're sending me. You do. Videos I, thought of you your would, dogs. I thought you'd appreciate how they're just the cutest little besties, aren't they? They get so excited yes. to play with each other. It was so cute. It <laughs> reminds me of when I let or take Lola and Caesar outside, and then they're coming inside, and Caesar's at the top of the stairs waiting for Lola, and then he humps her and he breaks her, <laughs> and I'm like, Caesar, you can't do that. She's not giving you consent. And yeah. I'm like, yeah. he must love you though. Yeah, he must. He's just so excited he can't contain it. Callie does not allow any mounting. She will <laughs> fuck someone up. <laughs> You've seen her. She's got attitude in those eyes. Yes. Me, we made it to chapter four. I feel like every chapter is like, we made it. <laughs> yeah, this is the long fucking chapter though. <laughs> and it's called the value of suffering so it's not an easy one either it's not and I actually really like this one because it's talking about world war ii and shit I didn't know about and I'm yeah. just like the entire time I'm like fuck public school isn't this so topical right now world war ii dropping bombs on hiroshima yes and how the one japanese soldier just stayed in in the fucking forest shooting people it's a good little anecdote yes uh so this dude his name i it i don't know how to pronounce his name it's h-i-r-o-o -O, and i in my head was reading it as hero because i just i was can't. too okay good so um his name is hero anoda and he um gets sent to the philippines while um the japan is like at war with the philippines is it the philippines or is it philippines do i sound ignorant when i say the philippines i don't know anyway um he's there he's not in japan he's on this other place where these civilians are and he's with like a small group of people and they're killing people but then the war ends and they go into hiding because they think it's all a trick by the americans to get them to come out and like surrender and they end up in the woods for 30 years killing civilians after the war is over because they refuse to believe that the war is over and everybody dies he ends up alone after 30 years 
But what's really cool is there was this um, who was born in this time that everyone is still looking for this guy. And he goes, oh, I'm going to go out and find him. Like, I have nothing going on in my life. Let me go. And Suzuki, Mm -hmm. he was looking for an adventure, free spirit, a little bit nuts. He went out to the jungle, a hippie. He went out to the jungle and he found Hero, which is funny because he found him in four days and it, like, all the the Americans and Japanese troops all went in looking for him and could not find him, but Suzuki found him in four days. But they just, they became friends and they hung out there in over a year and then Suzuki kind of convinced him to leave. Mm -hmm. It's so funny that Suzuki found him after 30 years, like, the world powers militaries like the giant countries that are considered world powers sent their militaries to find this dude and they couldn't find it and suzuki just went out there and the way that he did it was he just walked around and yelled his name and i wrote don't try oh my god yes (laughs) right and he found him just like that just because he wanted to and he uh didn't really try that hard he had no plan he didn't give a fuck he had a backpack and no shoes basically i think he had shoes he just wanted to find Hero, see a panda, and find the ab- abominable snowman. So he convinces Hero to go back to regular life, and what happens? He, is, he realizes it sucks. He realizes the Japan that he was fighting is not the same Japan. It became a consumerist, capitalist, superficial culture that lost all tradition and honor, which is what he's been fighting for, loyalty and honor of his country, and it's not there. Mm-hmm. So he feels like he kind of wasted his life doing something that is gone. He was happier in the forest because he had values that he believed in fighting for Japan. And now he doesn't have that value. He has nothing to live for anymore. So he this, became more depressed than he ever was in the jungle. And this chapter is actually all about your values and how not giving a fuck kind of resonates with your values. And, it, and then we learn about the self-awareness onion. Oh man, I Oh before that Anata or Hero was so annoyed with um oh the weight of the realization of what happened in Japan, uh Mark says it pierced him in a way that no bullet ever had because suffering meant nothing. It suddenly became realized and true, thirty years wasted. So in nineteen eighty, Hero packed up and moved to Brazil. Yeah. He only survived like a couple of years in Japan. He survived thirty years in some forest in the Philippines, but only survived like five years in Japan before he had to move to a totally different continent because he just fucking hated it so much. Your values, man. Yeah, I guess. Brazil's probably a beautiful place to live, to be honest. Probably. I loved the self-awareness onion because I always tell Matt that he's not self-aware. I do not think men are self-aware, and I think it's because their frontals don't come in until later, so they don't have to be. They rely on other people's self-awareness, and they just perpetuate that into their like adulthood, older adulthood, and then death. But anyways... I told you it's Mark they're babies right here. They are babied. They have to be because they are babies until they're 25. But yeah. I feel like after 25, we got to pull the band-aid off and let them think on their own. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can imagine that it's hectic here in my house sometimes. <laughs> so, I want to read this whole passage because he's talking about how he's not self-aware sometimes and he says, "Go for sometimes it. Sometimes my wife and I have this fun back and forth that goes like this. Her, what's wrong? Me, nothing. Nothing at all. Her, no, something's wrong. Tell me. Me, I'm fine, really." Her, are you sure? You look upset. Me, with nervous laughter. Really? No. I'm okay, seriously. 30 minutes later. Me, and that's why I'm so fucking pissed off. He just acts as if I don't exist half the time. And this is just so funny because I feel like this happens every fucking day when Matt's just sitting there and I'm like, why are you grumpy? I can just tell by the way you're breathing. 
you're grumpy and then he's like I'm not grumpy and I'm like okay well it's gonna make me mad if you don't tell me so you might as well just tell me and then we like get into some deep shit that or maybe he's just hungry you know sometimes it's just that but (laughs) just being aware that you're feeling feelings is not something that everybody does and Mark's asking you to go on to two more deeper deeper levels and the questions that you should ask yourself why do I feel angry Mm-hmm. Is it because you failed to achieve some goal? Why do you feel lethargic and uninspired? Is it because you don't think you're good enough? And I'm like, oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. And then once like once you feel feel like why the why you feel that way, then you have to go deeper and say, why do I consider that to be a success or failure? And I like that because that gives you the opportunity to decide that maybe it's not a success or failure, not with your time. Mm-hmm. And then I also like, he goes, how am I choosing to measure myself? By what standard am I judging myself and everyone around me? And it kind of makes me, so when I was in therapy, uh, they talked about like your inner child and like all the parts that you have. Um, the only one I really remember is like your inner child and responsibility. And so just like talking about that and going in the self-awareness onion kind of takes me back to like talking to my, my inner child, figuring out what my inner child needs and why, why is what's wrong with me? do I need to coddle my inner child? Because everything just boils down to your inner child. That's what I was just going to say. It's true. Um, Basically everything that you're exposed to between the time you're like one to seven, that's your formative years, aren't they? Like you're reacting to those things basically with everything that you do when you're older, unless you're like really fucking aware and you've gone on all the layers of self-awareness and you've fixed all that shit. But I think most of us have a lot of residual uh, one to seven year old beliefs. I feel that like, man. And then, I'm constantly like, even with this book, I'm constantly trying to fight my generational curses. Like one day Sebastian wanted to take a nap well, or didn't want to take a nap. It's been like a constant with him. And I got really upset with him and I really try hard not to spank him. Cause I feel like hitting anything doesn't solve a problem. Mm-hmm. It creates a problem that's going to happen later. Well, I spanked his little butt because he just irritated me and kept headbutting me and kept hitting me and all he was asking for was a goddamn hot dog and I was like you just fucking ate lunch how like how are you still hungry so I went and I got his hot dog and I was like you have to eat your hot dog in bed he ate his hot dog as soon as he was done with his hot dog he goes okay mama I'm ready to go night night and had I just listened to him and realized that he wanted that hot dog and if I had given it to him then it would have solved a problem so now in his head if he's crying for something I'm going to react in a not so great way so he shouldn't be crying for that and now I feel like a bad mom so well he figured it out and parenting is hard and I don't think that this one time is going to make him think that he can't come to you for help I think that you realizing what happened there and changing your approach next time will help him learn that he can come to you for help so look at that Mark Manson look at that Mark Manson (laughs) yeah it's good to be aware, though, of what happened so you can realize how you need to change it in the future or realize it was good and keep doing that, you know? And it's my self-awareness. It's my self-awareness onion. And he the, goes on d- to say, the deeper you dig, the more you cry. To say why questions accurately and this prevents them from prevents people from achieving a deeper knowledge of ourselves so if we just don't ask ourselves why we're never going to get down to the bottom of it so people may say like yeah I value honesty and a true friend but when you're true to them they're going to turn around and lie about you behind your back just to make themselves feel better 
Yeah, because they don't like those truths about themselves. Um, and then this just kind of goes on to not solving problems. And it goes, thus further, they avoid their problem instead of seeking to solve it. So by not being self-aware, you just are not solving your problems. I don't like this just because of what he's saying. I like it because I feel like it also gives you an opportunity to decide that this doesn't need to be your problem anymore. Once you like get down to the gist of it, like, is this valuable in your life? Maybe it's fucking not. Maybe it's not. It's okay to quit. Uh, The next page, this one just kind of like really like, oh my God, this one was my self-awareness onion right here. People are going to be mad. He talks about a recent example from his own life, and I'm just going to read this because it goes into my note. It bugs me that my brother doesn't return my texts or emails. Self-awareness onion. Why? Because it feels like he doesn't give a shit about me. Why does this seem true? Because if he wanted to have a relationship with me, he would take 10 seconds out of his day to interact with me. Why does this lack, why does his lack of relationship with you feel like a failure? Because we're brothers, we're supposed to have a good relationship. So two things are operating here, a value that I hold dear and a metric that I use to assess progress toward that value. His value, brothers are supposed to have a good relationship. Metric, being in contact by phone or email. That's how they measure the success. And my note is that my relationship with my sister, like I, I see people like Shantae and Whitney, they have a really close sister relationship and I'm jealous of that. And I tried to have that with my sister. Well, I feel like I, I eventually ended up pushing my sister away because I had an idea of how the friendship of how the sister relationship should be instead of accepting her for who she is slash was. So there was my self-awareness other my self-awareness onion and then it goes on why are brothers supposed to have a good relationship because their family and family are supposed to be close so another thing is that also goes with my sister and my siblings and also my move to florida i thought moving out here would put us i wanted sebastian to have more of a family aspect in life because i feel like mine is toxic yeah not realizing that like everyone's family dynamics are different. I felt like Mm -hmm. mine was toxic. I felt like being out here closer to Orlando's would mean that we are closer to family. I feel like now we are further from family than we've ever been. So it's just, I guess, just because you have an idea in your head of what a family should be doesn't mean that that's what it's going to be. Yeah. And maybe if you like meet them where they're at, you'll feel that whole sense of family. I loved this brother passage though, too. This was the day that I had that conversation with my brother. Oh. Right? Like I was feeling yeah. like it was my responsibility to make sure that he sees our mother. Yes. And he was feeling like, fuck that shit. I'll never do it. And I decided that, you know what? I'm going to take some time out of my day to day and let him know I've thought this was my problem the whole time. I don't want it to be anymore. It should be your problem. And I haven't thought about it since then. Because, and I was reading this and I'm like, am I thinking about this wrong? But what, what is being close to your family? Why is that normal? Why do I have to do that? I don't, why is it all my, it's not all my job. So Mark's making me feel better about a lot of my personal choices. Me too. And I really like um, down here, it goes, this clearly makes sense. It feels true for me, but it still hurts that my brother and I aren't close and there's no positive way to spin it. So it it does suck that I'm not close with my, like, I'm close. I'd say that I'm close with my sister, but I'm also not close with her. And the fact that like, I don't feel like I can share all my opinions because we think differently, whatever family wise, but I've also made the choice in my life to have my family be more of my friends. Like, Does that make sense? 
Yeah, it does make sense. And also, um, not being super close to your sister gives you the opportunity to have sister-like friendships with people like Shantae. You're right. You're right. So, um, And then you don't feel super obligated to be up there every Christmas or whatever. That is true. You know, that not is being true. super close to your family has its uh, positives. You're right. Although you have a child, so you're always going to argue about where you're supposed to be for Christmas. Sorry, that's your next 18 years. Yeah, you're right. And <laughs> All Orlando, the grandparents want to see them. And Orlando works retail, so we'll never be able to take a vacation during Christmas. So Yeah, so whatever. We should just make up a new holiday in the middle of summer anyways. That would be better. We should. We should. Why is the best holiday of the year, the, the holiday that everybody fucking loves, in like dead of winter? Let's talk about that. I want to celebrate when it's warm. I do too. What religion do I have to join to have Christmas in July? We can make one. Yeah, we can make one. I feel like we can do whatever we want. All religions were made up at some point. Obviously, it's not hard to get people to follow a cult, so yeah. just <laughs> Right. If a man can do it, motherfucker, you bet I can. So we go into rock star problems, which, man, Mark Manson is like the smartest person I know. Where did he get all these stories? This is That's what I want to know. I actually went and told this story to Matt because he likes Metallica. I'm not sure if he's a Megadeth fan, but like this is I want to tell this story. Okay, so go for guy, it. Dave Mustaine. Um, he was a guitarist for Metallica, and they kicked his ass out. And he spent the rest of his life saying, "I'm going to make sure that these band members of Metallica regret kicking me out while they're sitting on the couch with their fat, ugly lives, hating their fucking lives. I'm going to be the best rock band of all time. I'm going to sell more albums than anybody in the world." And he sold 25 million albums, but Metallica sold 125 million or 180 million, actually. So he didn't achieve his goal of making them regret their lives as a matter of fact they probably barely noticed him he was barely competition and um he even though he was a super successful rock artist like i can't name a single mega death song but i know that they're very popular um he was super popular and successful by everybody else's standards but even like years and years later in 2003 he's still crying and said he wishes that that never happened to him and he's not actually happy and then Mark brings up another story about the drummer from the Beatles, Pete, I believe his name is. Oh, they... man. That name is just so sexual. <laughs> Pete. Peter. <laughs> um... <laughs> Peter. You know, in British, they say Peter. <laughs> yeah. They... <laughs> so he, um, he's the drummer for the Beatles, and they don't like him, so they kick his ass out. And They don't he... like him because he's hot. Yeah, he's hot and he has better hair. By the way, did you like, have you seen that meme going around that like the English people killed the Vikings and there was this memo or like some book written saying that the Vikings just brushed their hair and wore nice clothes and it was making all the wing English wives like cheat. So the Englishmen had to go exterminate them. This is a thing. Men are insecure little fucking bitches. That's true. So Pete gets kicked out. He's sad. He tries to kill himself, but then he pulls it together and he meets his wife and he has a lovely life and he loves his life. And none of the other Beatles members had a life that they actually loved. They're always chasing marriages, like getting divorces and having sh like shitty things happen to them. And Mark's point in these two stories is that Pete's goal, besides being sexy as fuck, was <laughs> to be happy and to find something in his life worth value. And Dave's goal was to force someone else to feel the responsibility of something that had happened to him. And that's why he wasn't happy. So these are good stories and they're interesting and things that I didn't know about. Yeah. And there was one thing that I really liked um, right in the Dave Mustaine story was by what standard do we measure ourselves? So for Dave, it was 
basically revengefulness and mm-hmm. Pete was like well this sucks but what can I do how can I like change my life and Pete says I'm happier than I would have been with the Beatles yeah I feel like Pete was like okay well I'm not going to be a Beatle so how am I going to be the best at the life I'm going to live now I bet he's an amazing husband I bet he's a good dad and a good grandpa too I bet so too because that's what he wants to do that's what he wants to be good at I like that now we go into shitty values yep a couple of common there are a handful of common values that create really poor problems for people Problems that can hardly be solved. Let's go over some of them quickly. He's got pleasure. And he's just saying that pleasure is a false god. And if you're chasing pleasures, studies show that you're probably more anxious, more emotionally unstable, and more depressed than other people. It's artificial and it's just one of those highs. The next one is marital success. So many people measure their self-worth based on how much money they make or what kind of car they drive or whether their front lawn is greener and prettier than the next door neighbor's. Well, research shows that once one is able to provide for basic needs like food, shelter, and so on, the correlation between happiness and worldly success quickly approaches zero. So like we were talking, like, what is success to us? Is it working that nine to five or nine to nine job where you're making $10,000? Like, how would that? Oh, yeah, this was a good one that he is. So if you're starving and living on the streets In the middle of India, an extra $10,000 would affect your happiness a lot. But if you're sitting pretty in the middle class in a developed country, that extra $10,000 won't affect anything, really. He's right. He's right. Like, an extra $10,000 a year after taxes is, like, $8,000. Every single month, that's about $700 a month. Like, what can you do? If you had an extra $700 a month, you'd probably just blow it, to be honest. I would. Yeah. I might save it, but I'm not good at saving. I mean, shit, if you're renting an apartment, though, in Denver, an extra $700 is going directly to your rent because that shit's $3,000 a month, and there's no fucking way that you can get around that. But he's right. Like, if your problems are solved and you, like, if your bills are paid, having an extra $50 in your bank account is not going to make you feel better. Actually, it's going to make you feel worse because you're going to have to pay more taxes on the end of it because the way that your HR calculates it is not including your a- your overtime in your freaking shit so anyway i won't go i'm not gonna go off on that tangent nobody cares about taxes also can we say how i said marital success and not material success oh i read that as marital success (laughs) but i guess marital success would be material success wouldn't it in these examples it would it would okay so the second one is material success the third is always being right and fucking idiots I know. And my favorite part of this is he says, you should assume that you don't know a lot. And I feel like this is what little kids do. Like they ask you questions because they genuinely don't fucking know. And they want you to tell them the answers. And Mm -hmm. I feel like when you get older and people ask you questions about something you're explaining, you start to wonder like, are you asking me this because you want to know? Are you trying to be a dick? Oh, I ask that all the time. Yeah, right. So just stay curious and don't assume you know everything because we don't and we forget things. And like we are brought our brains like rewire memories to make them make more sense. And if we don't remember things completely, our brains will make shit up and we will think that that's a fact. It's crazy. This is why witnesses are not a good way to do trials. (laughs) I did like in here this one. It goes, sometimes life sucks and the healthiest thing you can do is admit it. Mm -hmm. Hell Yeah. Yep, And I also love negative emotions are a necessary component of emotional health. To deny that negativity is to perpetuate problems rather than solve them. Correct. And that is part of his fourth 
shitty value, which is staying positive. And I agree that that's a shitty value. That is so shitty. I also, oh, wait, we are in staying. I totally skipped staying positive. Sorry, guys. My big ass thumb was in the way that I could <laughs> staying positive. So the ones I just told you were all in staying positive. And uh, he gives us a trick with dealing with negative emotions. Just basically express them in a socially acceptable and healthy manner and express them in a way that aligns with your values. So if you're like pissed off with something, don't fucking punch a hole in the wall. Talk to your friend. Yeah, it's send okay an to be angry mad. text message and be like, I'm going to do this when I'm done yelling, okay? <laughs> yeah, and I love this one. See, it's the punching people in the face that's the problem, not the anger. The anger is merely the messenger for my <laughs> fist in your face. <laughs> I was laughing at that too. And he's right, he's right. Um, and punching people doesn't help. Also, sometimes it hurts you too. Like, your hands could get hurt. <laughs> exactly. Think about yourself. Exactly. And then he helps us define good and bad values. He says good values are reality-based, socially constructive, and immediate and controllable. And bad values are superstitious, socially destructive, and not immediate or controllable. And then this one, like, really hurt my feelings. Completing a marathon makes us happier than eating a chocolate cake. Raising a child makes us happier than beating a video game. Starting a small business with friends struggling to make ends meet makes us happier than buying a new computer. Do you guys know why? Do you know why? why yell that yeah why (laughs) lay it on us (laughs) because you are solving a problem that's the the key to happiness that's the key to the happiness is solving a problem which is funny because ever since i watched britney runs a marathon in 2019 i've wanted to run a marathon but i've never like really like gotten up to practice running a marathon (laughs) so Um, that's on my bucket list i hate running at its core for so many reasons but I hope that you do that. <laughs> Maybe a triathlon. You only have to run a third of the time and then you can bike and swim. But you know what? I also have a disease and I feel like if I'm running for that amount of time or even if I run a 5K, I feel like I'm going to inevitably shit myself. So that means that I shouldn't do it. So I should just walk slowly or power walk. There we go. No, no, no. Marathoners shit themselves. Okay. You'll be fine. You'll be I in good be company. Okay, there we go. <laughs> they wear diapers, I think, sometimes. They okay. get blisters under their toes. They got injuries none of us know about. God, that sounds awful. Why do I want to do this? I don't know. But, I mean, it would be a good accomplishment. You would have to work really hard, and you'd probably feel good when you were done. But uh, I don't know. I'll just stick <laughs> with a 5K. I'll just stick let's, with a 5K. Let's just finish our yoga journey, and then we'll talk about your running journey. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah. We, we have to get rid of those shitty values and focus on good values. And how and do we do that? I don't know. Decide the ones that are reality, socially, reality-based, socially constructive, and immediately uncontrollable. So he tells us examples of some good ones. Honesty, innovation, vulnerability, standing up for yourself, standing up for others, self-respect, curiosity, charity, humility, creativity. He gives you some examples of bad ones. My favorite one is indiscriminate fucking, (laughs) (laughs) feeling good all the time, always being the center of attention, not being alone, being liked by everyone. And he says, you'll notice that good, healthy values are achieved internally. Something like creativity or humility can be experienced right now. You simply have to orient orient your mind to experience it. They're immediate and controllable. And when you engage with the world, you'll see it how it is rather than how you wish it would. Bad values, though, are reliant on external events, like being told you're right all the time means that you're hoping that everybody will tell you you're right all the time and you can't control that, you know? So 
Wait, I love this one though. We cannot skip over this one. Another bad value. Another <laughs> bad value. Owning a house it. in the Bahamas, eating a cannoli while getting blown by three strippers. But like, I just want to say that three strippers can't physically blow you at the same time. He might have three Face dicks, yourself. okay? <laughs> he says, well, "We don't know." Well, bad values are sometimes fun or pleasurable. They lie out. They lie outside of our control. And often require socially destructive or superstitious means to achieve. So values are all about prioritization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if we want to be mad all the time, we can put values into how other people behave. Or if we want to try to be happy with ourselves, we can put value into how we behave. And I love how he like always rounds out the chapters like by going back to the story he first told. So heroes highest mm-hmm. value complete loyalty and service to the japan um empire this value in case you couldn't tell from reading about him stank worse than a rotten sushi roll <laughs> it created really shitty problems mainly he got stuck on a remote island and that he just felt compelled to murder innocent people so yeah, yeah. and then dave mustaine achieved great fame but he still felt like a failure and then on the contrary, Pete, Peter, pulled mm-hmm. a switcheroo. Pete uh, best. He is the best. Yeah. He grew uh, into a happy, healthy old man with an easy life and great family. Things that none of the four Beatles could achieve. Yeah. So if we want to be happy, we just have to decide what makes us happy and work on that. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of work. That is mm-hmm. a lot of work. Easier said than done, Mark. Hell Yeah. He says, when you give better fucks, you get better problems. So you need to decide what things are valuable to you. Give a fuck about those. And then you'll have problems that you can tolerate. And he says, that's what self-improvement is all about. Prioritizing mm-hmm. better values. Yeah. And then now we are getting into the five counterintuitive values that he believes are most beneficial yep. that we can adopt. Each of the next five chapters is going to be one value, and we are just going to read chapter five today. You are always choosing. <laughs> more of our five, more of our marathon stuff. Yeah. You know, I feel like we've been talking about this this whole time, that you are always choosing, and when you're not choosing, you're choosing. Mm-hmm. You're choosing to not choose. Yeah. And his first thing in here, he's talking about how if somebody walked up to you and told you you had to run a marathon at gunpoint, you'd be pissed because somebody gave you a responsibility that you didn't ask for. And I hate that. I hate it when people give me responsibilities I don't ask for. Oh, me I, too. I will not fucking do it. <laughs> he says when we're feeling, when we choose our problems, we feel empowered. And when we feel that our problems are being forced upon us, we feel victimized and miserable. So again, choosing. We're always choosing. Mm-hmm. And we're choosing how we react. Yeah. Oh. And... Oh, go ahead. No, I was just thinking William James. That's the guy I was talking about earlier. Yeah, he's rich, but he is very sickly. Um, he reminded me of JFK when I was reading this. Oh. Um, and he never really did anything with his life. He, like, painted and shit. But his brother was a novelist. His sister was a writer, too. And William just never really sold any paintings. And what I wrote here was his family measured success with dollar signs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why they didn't think he was good and probably why he was also miserable and to fix him like having no passion his dad put him in medical school and I just want to know like do you want a doctor who doesn't want to be a doctor 
Like, is that the doctor you want who got C's? No. Not me. Not me. He failed out. He dropped out. Thank goodness. And he went to the Amazon. Amazonia. um, Where he had the worst luck. He got smallpox. He almost died. His group left him. And he was just kind of SOL. Yeah. He finally made it back to New England. But he was very upset. And his dad was still disappointed. (laughs) Yeah. And he decided that what he was going to do was for a year before he killed himself because his life fucking sucks and there's no point to living so he's going to kill himself and he decides he's going to accept that all of his problems are his own and his only to solve for a year and if it makes his life better then he won't die or he won't kill himself and I actually loved like I loved this I was like oh my gosh that would be I know a lot of people that would probably benefit I would probably benefit on getting a journal and writing every single one of my problems is my responsibility and And I was like, is this how Mark is going to help us, help motivate us to rebirth? (laughs) But this guy ends up being um, the father of American psychology, basically, talking about his rebirth of, like, interpreting all of his problems as his own. And instead of deciding that they were life-ending problems, deciding he was going to try to fix them. And just basically um, his whole idea is that interpretation is key. And how you interpret things that happen to you is going to determine how you feel about your life. Um, I did write some good things. I said, uh, your responsibility to interpret the meaning of the event and choose a response. That's what your responsibility is. Mm -hmm. And then also the point is we are always choosing whether we recognize it or not always. And I feel like that's something that we reiterated at the beginning of this chapter. Yep. And not choosing just means you're choosing to get whatever shit is thrown into your bucket. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I love the responsibility fault fallacy. This is something I struggle with so fucking much because I don't want to deal with problems even if they're mine. If somebody else created them, I want that person to pay. Um, I'm <laughs> and, you know, he thought the same exact – so first I thought this was hilarious that he said a great philosopher said with great uh, power comes great responsibility, <laughs> not realizing that it was from Spider-Man. Yeah. And so then, so then he changed it around and he goes, with great responsibility comes great power, which I feel like is true. I feel like if you know how to hold yourself responsible – You'll be able to align yourself to the next level if we're going to talk spiritually. Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking he was saying here, if you are responsible for how you react in every situation, then no matter what anybody does to you, they cannot get the reaction that they want from you. So you're more powerful than them. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the more we choose to accept responsibility in our lives, the more power we will exercise in our li- over our lives. Mm-hmm. So it's just basically like we have the power to control our mind and we have the power to basically control the universe in a way that if we are like it's basically manifestation in the way that like you're speaking it into existence and not just standing in a mirror saying I am beautiful I am rich but like you don't feel beautiful and you obviously aren't rich but you have to feel like you know what it's okay if like I'm not rich like I'm fine if I'm if I have ten dollars in my bank account until I get paid I know I'm gonna be okay. That is your choice and your responsibility of how you're reacting to your situation. So in all actuality, it's just like another spiritual way of changing your life. Yeah. He gives a couple of examples. He talks about a short dude who basically said no women ever wants him. And he basically decided that all women hate short dudes because he didn't like that he was short. Instead of just like forgetting that he was short and trying to like talk to a woman about something that wasn't his physical appearance 
And he also gives other examples of like, he's talking about the short dude saying his responsibility is to like, he can't get taller, but could he like think taller? You know? Yes. And then he gives another example. Like if somebody dropped a baby off on your doorstep, it's not your fault that that baby was there, but it's your responsibility to decide to ignore the baby or do something about it. And every single thing that you decide to do, either take it somewhere to get adopted or keep it yourself or try to find the parents, all of it comes with a set of problems that now you have to own, even though you didn't put the fucking baby there. I love this. Nobody else is ever responsible for your situation but you. Yeah. And he goes into even harder examples, like people having, like, their son die in a car accident. He's talking about people being violated or, like, just really bad shit happening to you. And that all fucking sucks. But one thing that he learned before we – sorry, before we get into that is this is the one where his girlfriend dumped him because she was cheating on him with his teacher – And so he was miserable and he held her responsible for how he felt. And he had this self-awareness onion where he went through it and he realized that he could never control her emotions or her actions. So he became responsible for how he felt. And in that he realized that like, he may have not been the best boyfriend and she may have not been the best girlfriend and holding her responsible for his emotions is probably why she left. Yeah. And then he realized that he was like, holding her responsible for his emotions the whole time even down to when he confronted her about cheating because he thought they were gonna like make things worse work and she was like yeah i am cheating bye i'm gonna Mm. go be with him now and i loved this he says i learned the hard way that if people in your relationships are selfish and doing hurtful things it's likely you are too you just don't realize it and i was like damn yeah yeah just laying the knowledge down on us way to make me think about my own actions yeah like they're Uh. my responsibility or something gosh dang it i wrote in here i have to fix things myself i hate that um and then i also liked to simply blame others is only to hurt yourself when it comes to not taking responsibility of your own happiness yeah and blaming other people is just creating a whole new set of problems too because now how do you solve the fact that it's somebody else's fault that something bad happened to you? They need to apologize. They need to take ownership. They need to feel bad for it. They need to restore you back to wherever you were before they did something to you. And they're fucking not gonna. So you're going to be mad forever and they're not going to even notice. Not at all. Mm -hmm. And so now is when we talk about responding to tragedy. Yeah. Tragedies. They talk about Malala. Man, right? I think so. And this girl is a badass. Mm -hmm. The Taliban shot her in the face when she was trying to go to school. Yeah. And she fucking left and still speaks out against the Taliban. Like, they banned girls going to school. She went to school. And then they were, like, trying to track her down, got onto a bus, and was like, hey, where's Malala, or however we say her name? And everybody pointed her out. They shot her. She didn't die. And then continued speaking out. And I feel like she decided that... She valued girls being able to go to school, so she didn't give a fuck if she lived or died as long as people knew that girls should be allowed to go to school. That's what Mark's talking about, isn't it? Yes, it is. He written a few ideas of his book on his blog, and that's when a man left a comment accusing Mark of not knowing what true pain was because a man's son died in a car accident. And Mark wanted to go off on him. Um, but he sat there and thought about, um, 
his life and he got angry um but he realized that the man's objections had little to do with what mark was actually saying and so then uh mark said i actually applied my own advice i chose my problems i could get mad at this man and argue with him to try to outpain him with my own pain which would just make us both look stupid and insensitive or i could choose a better problem working on practicing patience understanding my readers better and keeping that man in mind every time I wrote about pain and trauma from then on. And that's what I've tried to do. Because now it's your responsibility. Somebody gave you this responsibility and it's yours now. Mm -hmm. And you being miserable forever is your choice. And so what he ended up leaving for that troll is I was, I'm sorry for your loss. And that was it. What else can you say? That's what I would have done too, honestly. Yeah. Oh, I love this one. Genetics in the hand were dealt. I love science. Yeah, this is, they gather up a group of teens with, like, OCD. And their goal is to um, help kids basically, like, cure OCD, even though, like, it's not really curable. So, like, manage it. Have less panic attacks if they don't do their OCD things. So, I think there, there are three teens, Imogene, Josh, and Jack. Yep. So Imogene, um, she had to tap every surface that she walked past, and if she failed to do so, she was flooded with horrible thoughts of her family dying. Josh needed to have both of his body, both sides of his body, or else he, like, I don't know, has a panic attack. And then Jack um, was just a germaphobe. I thought it was really cool that they just basically made them come to terms with it. Like, yeah, Imogene, everyone's going to die. Move on with your life. Yeah, Jack. You're you're always going to have panic attacks or you're always going to be around germs. Move on with your life. And with that thought process, they were able to, like, they still maybe had every once in a while little panic attacks, but it wasn't nearly as bad. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure those people helped them a lot, but the kids did most of the work because you have to decide that, yeah, you might have a panic attack, but you're still going to do this. You might have a panic attack if you don't don't tap this service, but you're not going to tap it anyways. If you don't tap this service, you're going to imagine your family dying. And you know what? They might fucking die. Mm-hmm. And in the end, they said that, like, like Imogene said that those nasty thoughts never really left. They just weren't as loud. Mm-hmm. And there was something, since I ha- I've talked about a lot, my ulcerative colitis, I really liked this uh, blurb that I kind of blocked out. It says, I didn't choose this horrible, horrible condition, but I get to choose how to live with it, and I have to choose how to live with it. Like, right now, I'm like, fuck, I need to get my colon removed because it just hurts. Well, it doesn't really <laughs> hurt. It's just so frustrating. Yeah. So instead, I'm learning to live with it by changing my diet. Like, I don't really drink soda anymore. I don't – I try not to eat out as much. Like, just – simple things to try and make it easier for myself and that's my responsibility that's what I'm choosing to do and that's my responsibility yeah he says um we should try to look at life as a hand of poker we don't get to choose the cards that we're dealt and we might get shittier cards than someone else but you can win a hand of poker with the shittiest cards ever if you spin it the right way yeah that's true it is true. Let's be honest here. If you were to add up all the people who have some psychiatric disorder, struggle with depression or suicidal thoughts, have been subjected to neglect or abuse, have dealt with the tragedy or death of a loved one, and have survived serious health issues, accidents, or trauma, if you were to round up all of those people and put them in a room, well, you'd have to round up everyone because nobody makes it through life without collecting a few scars on the way out. It's, he's so fucking right. Oh, yeah, he is. I wrote Fox News. Mm-hmm. So what he's saying the media does is heal 
they'll put something out to get reactions from one group of people and then take those reactions from that group of people and publish it into a different article to get reactions from another group of people. Like, like the freaking super time or super bowl halftime show this year where, um, all the like Gen Zers were mad that all the old people were on there. And then there's articles coming out that all the freaking millennials are talking shit to the Gen Zers saying, Hey, wait your turn for your bands to be at the Super Bowl halftime show. And that was like a whole freaking outrage porn cycle. It was that happens with everything. Literally everything. And he says it's no wonder we're politi- we're more politically polarized than ever before. And also like this, the biggest problem with victimhood chic is that it sucks attention away from actual victims. It's like mm-hmm. the boy who cried wolf. That was my very next note, too. And it does. And if everybody's a victim all the time, it kind of, like, takes away the value of telling your story. Like, it kind of takes away the intenseness of people's stories. If everybody's always a victim and always trying to outpain each other, then, like, where does it end? When do we stop being desensitized to people's problems? I think the same time we all became desensitized to school shootings. Jesus. Yeah. Not great. (laughs) oh he's so terrible yeah he says people get addicted to feeling offended all the time because it gives you a high another one of those highs you feel good because you feel like you're entitled to not feel offended which like you're not really people are gonna say whatever they want all the time i guess and then that's where you're not giving a fuck just like literally if something someone does annoys you just like on social media scroll past it be a goldfish be a goldfish like ted lasso says (laughs) they forget their memory every 10 seconds is that what it was yep so just forget what those fucking idiots say because there's no value in you being angry and you cannot teach everyone everything you cannot i did like this it says we must accept the responsibility and nurture our values regardless the future stability of our political systems may depend on it Mm -hmm. And then he ends this chapter telling us there is no how. A lot of people do. Yeah. A lot of people might hear all of this and say something like, okay, how? I get that my values suck and I avoid responsibility and I'm an entitled little shit who thinks the world should revolve around me and I inconvenience and every inconvenience I experience. But how do I change? And he says, best Yoda experience. Do do or do do not. not. There is no how. (laughs) That's funny. But he says, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I says that he says you are already choosing in every moment of every day what to give a fuck about. So change is as simple as choosing what to give a fuck about something else. Mm-hmm. He says when you start changing your thinking, you might feel like a fraud or a nobody because you're not meeting your old trusted metric, you know, that put value in your life. But it's normal and uncomfortable. You just got to get through it. And this is another thing that like slapped me in the face. It says, um, next, you'll feel like a failure. Failure. You've spent half your life measuring yourself by that old value. So when you change your priorities, change your metrics, and stop behaving in the same way, you'll fail to meet that old trusted metric and thus immediately feel like some sort of fraud or no- nobody. Uh, this is also normal and also uncomfortable. And growth comes like being uncomfortable comes with growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like we had mentioned this at the beginning, like to grow means to become uncomfortable with your situation. I, my very last note is, so get ready to be uncomfortable, I guess. Um, I highlighted the last thing is um, this is a good thing. We're yes. doing everything wrong and it's a good thing. <sighs> we did it. We read we five did chapters. 
God, I'm not doing that again. I'm going to read, like, a chapter a night. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm thinking, too. Is there anything, like, really resonating with you? What are you, what are you taking away every day so far? That it's my responsibility of how I react to situations. Mm-hmm. Like, is this within my control? Is it something that I can control and I can solve my problem? If not, then it's not something I need to be getting worked up over. That's good. I like it. What about you? I'm trying to focus on, is this problem worth me giving a fuck? Is this really a problem that I need to fix? You know? Yeah. I'm working on giving myself the room to not fix all of the problems that I want to. Because I really like to take on all of them, you know? I'll be Mm -hmm. emailing everybody's boss. (laughs) Now we gotta gotta find our values. Yes. I need to narrow down the amount of bosses that I want to email. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to finish this in the next two weeks. 